want to start this morning by trying to provoke you. Um, I don't mean in a negative way, but I mean provoke you to think. I'm going to start with a statement. Activation and development of dormant capacities brings desirable expanded experiences. Just We're going to leave that up there for a minute, and I'm going to kind of walk you through it. Most of us in here, if not all of us in here, can read. But just as true, there was a time in our life when we could not read. Now, we had a God-given capacity, being human, made in the image of God. We had a God-given capacity to read, but it was dormant. That capacity was, was static. It was dormant. We went through some steps. We took some action, and we went from those that could not read to slowly but surely being able to read. And because we now can read, all kinds of vast experiences are open to us that would not have been open had we let this capacity lie dormant so I'm going to walk through this again because this is uh, kind of the key to the whole message today activation and development of dormant capacities dormant capacity since we're made in the image of God we have multiple capacities capacities that God himself has they are planted in us but they're often dormant activation and development of dormant capacities brings desirable expanded experiences as my capacities come alive and develop I can experience things that are intrinsically desirable to experience, I can experience them because these capacities have now been not just brought alive, but they've been developed to a certain state. In other words, let, let me try to give you what I'm saying. My dog has a capacity for joy, the best that I can tell. But it's not the capacity for joy that you have or that, that you have or that I have because I'm made in the image of God and I have a capacity for joy that's far, far higher than what my dog does. We have capacities, but if they're dormant, we may not have any clue of the kind of desirable experiences that we are deprived of because we've never catalyzed these capacities, developed them, and hence we're, we're without experiences that God wants us to have, good experiences, desirable experiences. All right, that's the thought provoker. I'm going to take you in a different direction. How many of you, like me, <laughs> you, uh, before you dash out the door you do like a, a mirror check. You do a mirror check, my man. You know, <laughs> you're so handsome, you don't need to. See, when you're like me, man, you, you don't take any risk. <laughs> How many do the, the last minute mirror check? Okay. And perhaps like me, there have been occasions where you're like, oh, shoot, you know. <laughs> you know, there's a wardrobe malfunction or a beard malfunction or what, whatever it may be. So you catch in the mirror the last look of something that you think is, is not going to make you the, as presentable as you can make yourself, and so you change. You, you correct whatever it is because you feel better about yourself. Follow me now. You feel better about yourself. Your, your quality of life is better when you feel like you're at your best, looking your best. You, you know you're not the best looking, I'm not the best, but you want to look your best. You, you feel like, okay, I can walk out of the house now. What if? But if there was a mirror of our souls that functioned in just the same way. So we, we take that checkup, we look in that mirror, that mirror of our souls, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we, we that last minute, we say, whoa, whoa, grouchiness. You mean everybody that met me today was going to meet grouchiness? I don't want that. I, I want kindness. I want everybody who meets me today to meet kindness. So we see something we don't desire in that mirror of our souls, and we, we want to replace it with something we do desire because we all know that grouchiness feels lousy as a quality of life, but kindness makes us as well as others feel good. We, we look in that mirror of our soul, and maybe we, we see, you know, greediness, stinginess, and we're like, oh, man, I don't want people to meet me and think, what a greedy, stingy person that is. No, I want people to meet me. I don't want them to think, wow, what a generous person. What, what, a, kind, what a kind and generous person. I look in that mirror and, and I see, you know, maybe bitterness. And I'm like, whoa, man, I'm not going out like that. I don't want people to think, what a bitter person that is. Negative, bitter, critical person. No, 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 no. I want people to meet a forgiving person, a compassionate person. So, Here's what we know. It feels a heck of a lot better to be in our skin when I am forgiving than when I'm not forgiving. And it feels a lot better in my skin to be compassionate than to be, you know, insensitive to others. It feels a lot better in my skin to be generous 
than to not be generous. So we're in this series called The Paradoxes of Life. And we've said repeatedly each week and each out, week out that spiritual truth sometimes feels contradictory to us. That's what a paradox is. It is something that is true even though it may seem to be contradictory to truth. Spiritual truth often feels that way to us because, you know, we're, we're just not that spiritually attuned. We don't know how much we don't know. We think we know a lot about life, but we really don't. We're kind of sense-governed creatures unless God starts to expand us and give us his perspective and so on. The other thing we don't know is that Christ knows everything there is about life, every aspect of our life, every facet of our life. He knows more about than we do. We have a hard time believing this one. We tend to carve out sectors of our life and we'll say, okay, God, God, you can, you can guide me there, you can direct me there, you can advise me there, but yeah, when it comes to this area of my life, I know what I'm doing, I don't, I don't need your help, I don't want your help. But that's foolishness. And so spiritual truth can seem paradoxical. All right, let me cut right to what is today's paradox. And Kim had already mentioned it, here we go. It's from Acts chapter 20, verse 35, give you a little context. The apostle Paul has been in the city of Ephesus for three and a half years. He stayed there longer than any other church that he planted. Three and a half years, he's building up those that are followers of Christ. He's teaching them the word of God, the whole counsel of God. Now he's about to leave, and he's meeting with the leaders, the elders of the church, and he's preparing them to take over the ministry there. And he gives them a set of warnings and a set of challenges and so forth. But then he says these words. He says to these Ephesian leaders of the church he says remember the words of the Lord Jesus it is more blessed to give than to receive now on a, on a quick glance we all can say well sure you know any parent knows that you know when you see your kid's face light up on a birthday or a Christmas day or something like that uh, even though the child is ecstatic with the gifts you too feel something that's just delightful. You, you're just so glad to be able to give. So we, we understand, growing up in Southeast, before I ever knew the Bible, I learned this truth, by the way. It's more blessed to give punches than it is to receive punches. I learned that very early. Now, I didn't know it was in the Bible, but I can tell you one thing, it's true. <laughs> um, now, this is interesting because it says, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps some of you know you won't find this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's not there. It's not in the Gospels. However, John tells us in John chapter 20, he says, if all the words that the Lord Jesus ever spoke and if all the deeds that he ever did were compiled, he said, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to take it all in. So it is not an unusual thing, and it's clear that the early followers of Jesus knew that Jesus emphasized generosity. Now, I want you to relax this is not a message about giving. This is not, I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's not a message to try to get you to give. I don't care where you're at on this subject. What I ask is one thing. I ask you to open your mind to hear what God's truth might say about this subject of generosity. And then the rest, that's, that's strictly up to you. The church is not in trouble financially. That's not why I'm doing this message. Not at all. Uh, I'm just sharing with you what is what is vital truth for dormant capacities that we all tend to have a capacity to be generous why do we have a capacity to be generous because God is the greatest giver in the universe and we're made in his image here I'm going to show you how, how much you already know about this I'm going to start a verse and you're going to know you're going to know most of you what the word is and just shout it out John 3 16 God so loved the world he gave yeah, see you all know it love love spontaneously gives we all notice anybody has children know you, you don't you don't say man i'm putting out a lot of money for you kid maybe some of you do but but but, but even if you do you usually don't tell the kid you know you just you just love the kids and you just do whatever that whatever they need you just want to do it you love them love gives it is spontaneous but it can be stifled and it often needs to be catalyzed and developed to be very frank with us uh, frank with you as you know fellow human beings so anyway it's more blessed to give them to you. Jesus says there's a quality of life that you will experience inside yourself that is so blessed it's so wonderful that it's superior to what you feel inside yourself when you get a great present 
if that makes it a little more understandable for us. So that's where we're going with this. Now, now let, let me just start. Why is this true? Why? Why is it that it's more blessed, the quality of our life inwardly is superior than those that receive a gift? Why, why is that? Let's look at some scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Corinth. And he says, see that you also excel in this, what does it say? grace of giving some of you can't even say the word giving it, just to loosen yourself up say the word can we say giving? giving okay you'll feel better you'll feel better as this message goes on so here's Paul he's writing to these followers of Jesus living in Corinth and he's saying there is a virtue it is a Christ-like virtue he's saying it, it's it's giving you've got this capacity it's dormant perhaps or it's undeveloped you've got it but you've got to excel He's saying you must intentionally try to stir this ability you have, this capacity you have. You must intentionally catalyze it, develop it, extend it because it has this capacity to grow. But if you ignore it, uh, of course, it's just like a plant. If you ignore it, it's going to dwindle and die. It's just like in our minds. Uh, you, you ever hear the old expression, use it or lose it? You know what I mean? If, if you know a language, maybe you, you stood, it took years to learn a language, but then you stop speaking that language for two, three years, you start to lose the ability. Why is that? Because when we're focused on something, when we're intentional about something, we literally create new physical neural pathways in our brain. In other words, our thought creates physical pathways in our brain, hence we learn how to do something until it becomes automatic. But if you ignore it, those same neural pathways, they, they're physiological, but they just deteriorate and they disappear. So Paul says, excel, be intentional, focus on it, develop it, excel in this grace of giving. Why, Paul? Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, thinking of his eternal heavenly glory, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? Why did he do that? So that you through his poverty might become rich. Now what is he talking about? He's saying that, that Jesus had to leave the luxury of power and glory of heaven he comes down he takes on human form he reduces himself he lived in abject poverty why so that people like you and I who are scared of God suspicious of God uh, don't want to move toward God but want to move away from God who think that God's involvement in our life is going to steal our joy steal our fun steal our development so that we could see that God is the most trustworthy the most sacrificial loving the most wonderful being in the universe so he became poor to make us rich to win back our trust so that we could experience the quality of life for all eternity that God initially created us for that richness there, it's not talking about richness necessarily financially or materially in this world at all. Let me share another one. Luke 12. Now, this is Jesus talking, and, and it's an interesting portion of Scripture if you've ever read it. Um, Jesus is teaching, and these guys, these brothers that are bickering over uh, in a state, they yell out, hey, Jesus, settle this thing between my brother and I. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? You know, you're going to bring this, this silliness up anyway. He uses it to give a warning. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of, what is the word? So notice, Jesus is telling us we have a heightened vulnerability towards being greedy. We, we tend to drift toward thinking that the more that I have, the more prestige I have. We get our sense of significance often from accumulating. In fact, some people, that's their only significance is what they accumulate. We, we tend to think that we can be more secure by accumulating. So hence, we're vulnerable to become greedy, to try to immerse more and more and more. We, we also derive, you know, our satisfaction. We, we can bring pleasure to ourselves by you know having things. But Jesus is saying, he said, it, it's a trap. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed why Jesus life does not consist in the abundance of what possessions doesn't matter if those possessions are money or whatever they may be let me show you how easy this is to see the truth most of you that I can see in here eh, there might be a few that are not but most of you that I can see you've lived long enough that perhaps uh, like myself there were leaner times in your life maybe even as a kid growing up leaner times man like when I was growing up and being bounced back and forth between my my mother and grandparents um, we didn't have any air conditioning 
you know, so I didn't know any difference. I grew up with, around <laughs> houses that were saturated with cigarette smoke. That's why I'm so healthy now. And, um, and no AC, but I didn't know any better, man. I was happy. I was on the streets all the time. I could do whatever I wanted. It wasn't a good thing, but nevertheless, at the time, it was kind of fun. So I had leaner days, but now, man, my AC breaks down. I'm whining and complaining. I'm a sissy, okay? <laughs> but when I went through those leaner days, how many of you, by the way, you, you could say, yeah, I went through some leaner times. But were you happy? Yeah. It wasn't a nightmare. And here's the good news. God has given each of us the ability to adapt quickly if necessary, when necessary. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if, if things should occur that would... Um, jolt our current lifestyle we will whine initially and feel very you know disappointed and unhappy but we will adjust quickly God has given us the ability to adapt very quickly and we will find that exterior circumstances are not the determinator of the interior quality of our life anybody that's a follower of Jesus should know that at least on some level and the closer you are the longer you've walked with him the more you will know that Jesus says but you got to guard yourself because our propensity our tendency is to be vulnerable to thinking man newer nicer bigger better newer nicer bigger better more 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 and he says that's a trap because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of the possessions that you have you never ever have enough and some people maybe you know some they chase that carrot until the last tick of their heart only to find what was it all about nothing so let's go on and look at this from one more angle Ecclesiastes 5 it says there's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun riches being what is the word kept kept and hoarded by their owner to his own what is the word now I'm just going to ask you how many of you in here you know someone and they they may not even have much but what they have, man, they, they hoard it. They cling to it. They, 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 they really care about it, but they're miserable human beings. How many know some people like that? Yeah, and we see celebrities like this all the time. We shouldn't be surprised. So when we look at this, this notion where God says it's more blessed to give than to receive, here's these life experiences as well as scriptural that teaches this is why it, this is so. Let me take you somewhere else. 2 Corinthians 9. Now, this is where we start getting into some real interesting territory. Paul writing to the followers of Christ again in Corinth, he says, each of you should give. Now, that's the first thing. Get that. He said to the Christians, they should give. Okay, so let's get that. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? So he's saying, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, look guys, you should give, but I'm gonna tell you, I, I, don't, I don't want you to ever give if you're just feeling guilty or if you're just feeling pressured or you know, you're, you're reluctant, you don't really wanna do it. He says, just, just don't do that. Jesus loves you. Uh, you. You don't have to do this, he's saying, because the truth is God loves a cheerful giver. So why would God love a cheerful giver? Because he is a cheerful giver and he knows what it feels like inside to be generous. There is, there is a level of joy. There is a level of peace. There is a level of tranquility and stability that comes to one as they increase their capacity, their God-given capacity to be generous. Let me go further. There, there is a level of security, feeling secure in an insecure, predatory world that comes to one that is generous that never comes to one that is not generous this is not a trick this is this is not Randy you're trying to trick us now you're trying to trick us to pull us in no I'm just sharing what the truth is you'll experience it one way or another so God loves a cheerful giver because he's a cheerful giver and he knows that it's only cheerful givers that experienced a heightened quality of life now this next one is going to take us in a most interesting direction Again, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, the Macedonian churches, in the midst of a very severe, what is the word? Trial. Trial. Unusual set of circumstances was coming upon them. Their overflowing, what is the word? Joy. joy overflowing joy. And their extreme what? Poverty. 
Oh, now, come on, man. Randy, you know better than that. If a person's in extreme poverty, there's no way they can have joy. You've you got to fix the poverty first. If, if you don't fix their poverty, there is no way they can ever have joy. Isn't that the message that we pretty much hear universally today? And I'm not trying to minimize the fact of alleviating people's sufferings. I'm not, not doing that whatsoever. I'm trying to burst a myth, though, and these people burst the myth. Their extreme poverty welled up in, what is the words? Rich generosity. Now I want you to ponder for a minute. Extreme poverty. These are people living in the first century. What the heck does extreme poverty even look like in the first century? I mean, let's talk about the first century. They didn't have cars. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have a flushing toilet. What does it, and yet we're talking extreme poverty. How many of you, if you didn't have electricity, you would, you would consider yourself in pretty extreme poverty? Can I see your hands? I would. <laughs> they didn't even know what electricity was. So whatever they were experiencing, extreme poverty, I don't even know what that would look like in the first century because they already didn't have anything. So they had nothing, but they were in the worst circumstances, financially speaking, that anyone of that day could be in. But it says, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. We're about to burst a bubble here in a minute. It goes on to say, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Well, I'm with you on that one, Randy. I, I know about giving how much I'm able. And even beyond their, what is the word? Ability. Oh, they pushed past what they were able. Entirely how? No pressure campaign. They just did this entirely on their own. Here's the truth. Two truths I want to share with you. First of all, God wants you and I and every living human that's ever lived to learn to be generous, not to get things from God. This is a terrible truth that, or let me rephrase it, it's a terrible teaching that is taught as truth in many a church that we give to God in order to get from God. You know, like I give him $10 in seed and he's going to give me $100 back. He's going to give me a tenfold return. So I'm always giving to get, giving to get. No, that's not what scripture teaches. God wants us to be generous so that we can share his character and that the universe someday can be filled with generous people. How many of you know that generosity is beautiful and stinginess and greediness is ugly? How many, how many just know that to be true? Yeah. So he says that he wants us to grow in generosity regardless of our circumstances. Um, Second truth, and it's this, it's that no matter what circumstance we are in, we actually can give. However, I'm going to add a caveat. There is one circumstance that makes it extremely hard to be generous. And the circumstance is having a lot. The more we have, the harder it is to be generous. The less we have... Extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. The less we have, the easier it is to be generous. You say, Randy, you're talking like a fool now, man. That's, that's just ridiculous. That's just crazy. That's contradictory. How can people that have nothing be more generous than people that have something? I'm going to show you. You'll learn this for the rest of your life. So I'm going to become little Randy, the street hustler now, okay? And, and, I, and I see you just got 10 dimes. I see, I see him shaking in your hand, 10 dimes. And I come up to you and I say, kind sir, kind lady can I have one of those dimes how many of you are going to give me a dime can I see your hands you going to give me a dime I'm, I'm just asking you for a dime you got 10 I want one uh, okay I see you a week later and I said oh kind sir kind, oh you seen me before okay kind sir I know you're a good man you're a generous man I saw that you just counted out one two three four five six seven eight nine ten crisp one dollar bills and I say to you Kind sir, I saw you just had 10 $1 bills. Could I have just $1, please? And you would probably say, yes, if you had $10, will you give, give me one? All right, I, th I think so, so. 
Now remember what my principle is here. My principle is we're never too poor to be generous, but we can be too rich to be generous. I'm going to show you. You'll, you'll never forget this. So you, you'll give me a dime out of 10. You'll give me a dollar out of $10 bills. Now, I'm watching you one day, and you go to the bank, and you, I'm watching. I'm, I'm in the side of the bank looking, and I see you drew out $100,000. You do it at $100,000. Might have been out of your 401k. You might rob somebody. I don't know how you got gambled. I don't know. But you, but you pulled out $100,000. So I go up to you. Kind sir, you may remember me. You once gave me a dime when you only had 10 dimes. You once gave me a dollar when you only had $10. Kind sir, can I have $10,000? Because I know you have $100,000. Be honest now. Be honest. <laughs> You going to give me $10,000? How many say, no stinking way? Can I, can I just, all right, you with me? You're, no way. <laughs> I didn't hear that. What was it? What did they say? <laughs> you have just proven my point. The more we have, the harder it is to be generous. You see, all I was asking you for each time was 10%. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 27, 30, God said to the Israelites, his first people that he called by his name to be his representatives, he said, take the first 10% of all that I give to you and use it for me, for my ministry. 10%, you live on the 90%. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this to you to put anybody in here under condemnation, under pressure. I'm not trying to trick you into tithing. That's what that word 10% means. I'm showing you a principle, though, because you and I need to extricate ourselves, if possible, from this trap, this snare. The more that we have, the harder it is to be generous. Why, Randy? Because we develop a lifestyle, and we convince ourselves that any modification to this lifestyle whatsoever would mean that the quality of my life would diminish. Man, if I couldn't buy that new furniture, I'd be unhappy. I'd be blue. If I, if I couldn't get that new car every three years, whatever, I, I, you know, I'm used to it, man. That's what I do. If I couldn't drive that vet or you know, whatever it may be, we convince us I have to protect my lifestyle. I'm broke. I don't have anything to give because I have to protect my lifestyle because I have convinced myself that any modification to my lifestyle will deteriorate the quality of my life my joy my happiness my peace will diminish that is a lie so this notion that I don't have therefore I can't give this scripture this group of people tells us that's nonsensical it's an attitude it's an attitude it's a choice Paul said earlier he said this grace of giving this this virtue of generosity excel in it He's saying, cultivate it, stir it, work at it, develop it, increase it. Again, this is not about trying to get, coax you in any way, shape, or form to give to the church, church in good shape. That, that's, that's not the point. I'm teaching you truth about yourself, about God, about life. That's all I'm doing. So, okay, how is this true? I mean, how, how does this work out? How, does, how is it that these people that were in abject poverty and yet they gave beyond their ability... And they did it with joy overflowing. How, how does that work? I mean, how, how does one get there? Randy, I, I'm just not there. I'm going to be straight with you, Randy. Truth be told, man, I don't like giving, and I wish I would have stayed home today because <laughs> I don't even like hearing about this subject. It's why, it's why people hate you churches because you talk about money. Well, we talk about money because God talks about money because God says it's the measure of our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, lay up treasure for yourselves not on earth where people want to steal it from you all the time and where it deteriorates anyway he said lay it up in heaven because he said where your where your treasure is that's where your heart will be in other words my heart will be magnetized to my treasure if i'm amassing stuff down here that's where my life is going to be i'm going to care about it i look out the window and i see somebody playing hardball playing catch and they put a ding in your car door i go oh that's too bad they put a ding in my car. I'm out there in the street, right? But why? Because that's where my treasure, it belongs to me. Jesus said, put your treasure up there because your heart is going to spontaneously follow your treasure. So if I'm not there and I'm not generous, but I want to be, I've looked in that mirror of my soul and being stingy, being greedy, I don't want to be that. That's ugly. Being generous is beautiful. How do I get there? 
and Randy, I, I feel like I have nothing to give. How do I get there? How, how does this work? How do I ever feel good about this? Because I don't even feel good about you talking right now. In fact, I wish you'd shut up. <laughs> how is this true? I'm going to share a transformation process with you, and I've shared it before, but it's, it's a very powerful one in God's Word that we need to be familiar with. You'll understand it immediately. Um, most of us in here drive. Is there, is there anyone in here that doesn't drive yet? Yet? No, I'm <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So perhaps you can remember when you first started driving, everything is scary, man. I mean, you can't. There's a point where you cannot really drive that car. And, and everything seems real fast, and you're going down the street like at 15 miles an hour, and you're, you're, you're just not sure of anything. And if you get where you're trying to get on the highway, it's terrifying. You kind of like close your eyes and just swerve onto the highway, and you hear brakes squeaking, and you know. So you once, we once couldn't drive, okay? It, it was just impossible for us, and it was overwhelming, and it was difficult. Man, I see you guys on the highway now. You got your arm woven in through the steering wheel. You're eating a donut. Over here, you're taking selfies of yourself. You're driving, you know, with, with a knee. Some of you, you're putting makeup on. <laughs> right? right? Some of you do peephole driving in the wintertime. You know what peephole driving is in the wintertime? You, you don't want to scrape your windshield off, so you get that one little hole, and you get your eye right against it. <laughs> and it becomes a sport. I think I can make it today. <laughs> But there was a time you couldn't drive. It, it, it just wasn't there. It's a developmental journey. Now, here's, here's the principle, and I taught it many, many times. We have to be willing to do what we cannot do, and we have to persist in it. It's humbling. It, it's awkward. It's difficult. It doesn't feel good when we first start doing what we cannot do, but we must persist in it long enough until we do it a little better and a little better and a little better. And what we find is that what we once actually could not do, we not only get to where we can do it, we get to where we can do it really good and sometimes almost automatically. This is God's process. You can find it all over nature. It's, it's all over the world, but it's also the way we grow in our souls. There has to be action. This is what you've got to hear. There has to be action, concrete steps taken before we feel good about it many times and before we are accomplished at it so sometimes we're doing things we're like oh i'm gonna do this but man i don't know i don't know generosity is already in our spiritual dna okay we all want to be generous. if you were all multimillionaires, you would just toss money around you'd give it to anybody and you'd feel wonderful about it but because we tend to be scared and insecure because we feel like we can't really trust god we tend to have struggles with generosity because we feel like we're going to run out of stuff. If, if I give something, uh, I'm not going to have enough for myself or something like that. So, so how does the mechanics, how is this true? Here it is. Here's this process. It's a key developmental process. It goes for all spiritual, mental, emotional growth, relational growth. You can put it in almost any realm. Paul, writing to the followers of Christ in Ephesus, says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, meaning before they had trusted in Christ, whether they were just going their own way, doing their own thing, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. What does that mean? I have to take my old value system, my old thoughts, my old way of solving things, my old habits, everything that I now find is contrary to the way God has designed me, I have to find those, examine those, and I have to say, that's not going to continue. That's not going to continue. That's not going to continue because that is not the way God designed me. I'm going to put it off intentionally. I have to see it, and then I have to take action to put it off. Put off your old self. Why? It's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We chase the carrots thinking the carrots are going to give us things that the carrots can never provide. We think that, once again, if we amass enough material things or enough money, we're going to feel significant and secure and satisfied. We will not. That's not the way human beings find their sense of significance and security and satisfaction. Corrupted by deceitful desires... But we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We're to, we're to take on God's kind of attitude toward life and to put on 
The new self, well, what is this new self? It's created to be like who? We were made in the image of God. He now, when he regains our trust and we become followers of Christ, God starts to rebuild that image. We start to live the way God himself lives and we learn to love the way God himself loves. That's what this life is. It is a developmental journey. We first return to our creator by putting trust in Christ and becoming his follower. Then we continue to take God's word and obey it and we find that when we do it catalyzes dormant capacities and then we continue to persist in them until we develop until we go from being not generous to being a little bit until we find ourselves being just crazy, joyfully generous. And this is a reality. This is absolutely what we have. To be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. Now, there's one more passage, if I can go to it, that shows this same process, a little bit different language. The other one said, put off your old self. This says, put to death. Same idea. Eliminate it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Well, well, Paul, what do you mean? Give me me an idea. What are we talking about? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is sexual activity that is not between a husband and a wife in a marital bond. And notice I said a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, not a woman and a woman and not a man and a man. God does not recognize that as part of his design. Those people that are in those relationships and pursuing them, they are cheating themselves, they are cheating society, they are cheating God. That is not his highest and best for them. His love says, no, 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 no. You you may think that you have desires leading you in that way, but that's not the way I wired you. Trust me, stay within your species, within my plan for your life. So, Put off sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and what? Greed, Greed, which is, you're like, the heck is idolatry? We don't use the word idolatry very much. Idolatry was the worship of idols. In other words, it was other gods. Now, you might say, why would greed, why would greed be equaled with idolatry i mean the scripture is saying there that that if i'm greedy knowingly or unknowingly i'm an idol worshiper whatever you and i knowingly or unknowingly look toward consciously or unconsciously look toward to gain our sense of significance meaning our value our esteem whatever we look to to gain our sense of significance or security or satisfaction those three things they hinge together Whatever we're looking to, that is our God. It doesn't matter what we say. We can sing praises to Jesus all day long. But if I'm looking to the, the dollar to give me sense of significance and security and satisfaction, I'm an idol worshiper. And that's why greed, greed is such a sinister thing. It sneaks in on us, and we don't even know that we're idol worshipers, and yet we can be. So the counter to this, obviously, is generosity. Now, I'm going to get ready to close. So here's this process. You can see it, the put off, the put on. I'm going to add one more verse to you. shows the put on aspect of this. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. We know what it is to clothe ourselves. We're all sitting here clothed and in our right mind right now. You put something on. It's an act of the will. Clothe yourselves, but clothe ourselves with, look, what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you how do you put on compassion Um, I've shared before I'll share again when when I became a Christian a follower of Christ I want to tell you I didn't even I didn't even understand compassion man I came off the streets and I didn't understand what compassion was but then I started learning God's teaching me and I'm like oh shoot I don't feel compassion at all for anybody and so now what what does this mean so I'm praying I want to be like Jesus and and I'm not feeling compassion okay I just learned do the the compassionate things you have to do to catalyze the dormant capacity to get it to develop and then once it starts to develop it can grow and expand uh, exponentially literally so hence look at generosity this capacity for generosity it's in God he places it in us it is for our good it is for the good of the universe but it may be dormant in some of us and we may not feel inclined at all to be generous so how do we get it started 
we put off that old self, which is inclined to amass and immerse and try to create our own security. We, we put that off. But then we take steps. I am going to do the generous thing before I feel generous. I'm going to do the compassionate thing before I feel compassion. I, I'm going to do the kind thing before I feel kind. I'm going to do the gentle thing before I feel gentle. It's in doing that we develop and we become. It's as we do what God says to do, we start to develop these dormant capacities come alive. The more we do them, the more they develop until finally one day we really have feelings of compassion. I know what it is to go from being a being that had no feelings of compassion to have great compassion now. But it came in this transformational process. I have to be attracted to something and then I have to, once I'm attracted to it, in other words, if I'm attracted to being a generous person, if I think generosity is beautiful, I have to follow up on that attraction by taking steps, action steps. I'm going to actually do something to be generous. I'm going to do something generous and as I persist in this, I will gradually over time literally become generous and man everything starts to change inside i start to experience a new level of joy a new level of peace a new level of stability uh, a new perspective on life on humans and things of that nature all right i'm going to close now by showing you two pictures the first picture i'm going to show you uh, i'm not an art aficionado or anything like that, but but this to me is one of the most beautiful pictures uh, that i've ever seen to, to this point ever in my life the second picture not so beautiful but it's a healthy one. It's that mirror. It's that soul mirror that we need to do the checkup on. All right, picture number one. Here it is. It's not a picture like you thought. It's a word picture. This is in the early stages of the church. Jesus had risen from the dead just maybe two years before this. Here's what the early believers, they didn't even have the New Testament yet. This is what they were doing. Among the large number who had become believers, there was a complete agreement of heart and soul. They, they were unified. All they wanted to do was serve Jesus and make him known to the world of their day. Complete unity. Not one of them claimed any of his possessions as his own, but everything was what kind of property? Randy, you're not talking communism now, are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm not talking communism. Everything, I, I, it's not my own. Everything's common property. It goes on. The apostles continue to give their witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great force. Of course, when they had this community that was saying, hey, I don't own anything. Whatever I have, it's yours if you need it. When they spoke about Jesus, it had power, obviously. And then this, and a wonderful spirit of generosity pervaded the whole fellowship. That's, that's shockingly beautiful to me. A wonderful spirit of generosity. Listen, nobody was commanding them. This was spontaneous. This was simply because they fell in love with Jesus. They saw his heart. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. They completely immersed themselves in Jesus and his teaching. And a wonderful spirit of generosity pervaded the whole fellowship. No wonder the apostles, when they spoke, everybody was listening. They could see that these people were taking care of themselves. It goes on. Indeed, there was not a single person, what does it say? In need among them. That's a powerful, powerful statement to any community. Think about it. You're a pagan and you're watching these, these Christians and these people that are interested in following this, this Jesus and they're taking care of each other. In fact, it doesn't matter how many people they have or what the condition of the people are in. They see to it that those people's needs are taken care of. Would that not be attractive to any community to see a group like that? Is that not a beautiful thing? I'm gonna tell you how beautiful it was. It almost led me into in a crazy land for a while. When I was a believer for about seven years on, I was looking for a commune to live in like this. I wanted to live like this. I didn't want to be in typical church life. Let me read the rest of you. It goes on. For those who owned land or property would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and place them at the apostles' feet. They would distribute to each one according to his need. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, I wanted to find a commune because I wanted to live this way. I was like 27, 28 years old, and, and I, I just, I didn't feel like the Christian church was functioning at an optimum level. Now, I've learned since then that that was a different time, different circumstances. However, the principle we can't miss 
there's a spontaneous generosity that should occur, should be obvious, should be shocking amongst those that are authentic followers of Jesus. We can't quite miss that point, I hope. And I hope you can't miss the beauty of that. Can you imagine how attractive that would be? It's like, man, I don't know. I don't know about you, but you go to that church. <laughs> You're going to be taken care of. It doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. They're going to hold you account. They're not going to let you be lazy. They're not going to let you be irresponsible. But they're, they're going to get you on your feet and get you going if you go amongst those people. They love God, and they'll love you too. And your needs will be met. That's a powerful, attractive thing. That's the first picture. Now let me show you the second picture. It's not nearly as attractive. This is an assessment of the average church. Uh, Christian organization you know did studies and so forth and here's what the average congregation looks like about 17 and a half percent in the average congregation I'm not saying we're average by any means and, and this is not to make anybody feel uncomfortable I'm just sharing truth with you guys about 17 more five percent tithe that's give that first 10 percent that God told the Israelites to give um, they give 10 percent and over 10 percent and and I'm not boasting or anything but but I'm one of them I don't ask anyone to do something I don't already do um, our church is blessed with, with a, a core of people like that. I don't know the percentage. We don't do that kind of studies, but this is what the typical church has. In the typical church, there's 37%. And by the way, what I'm asking you to do, this is the soul mirror. Find yourself up here. Which, which one are you? Remember, we want to look in that mirror, and even if we don't like what we see, it gives us the opportunity to change what we see. 37% give nothing. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, man, I'm not so bad after all. <laughs> it's okay I, I, God bless you know what I'm, I'm going to say something to you I said in the first service I don't care if you ever give a penny I'm going to love you I'm going to serve you to my last breath I'm never going to treat you any different than those that give uh, you know profusely that's just the truth that's just reality so this is not a trick I'm sharing truth with you hoping that the beauty of truth will attract you so that those capacities that I know by experience exist in you will be catalyzed and you'll choose to develop them anyway 37 percent do nothing about 45.5 percent give something it averages out to about 17 bucks a week it's about 800 dollars a year uh, now when i gave that illustration of can i have a dime out of 10 can i have a dollar out of 10 and then i said can i have 10,000 out of 100,000 you know why i chose 100,000 anybody guess wild guess what do you think the median household income in frederick county is 100,000. That's the average median household income. Some of you are saying, man, I wish they'd adopt me. <laughs> household, it might be husband and wife working, whatever it is, but, but that, you can look at statistics for yourself. Nevertheless, 10% of 100,000 would be 10,000. But nevertheless, you got 45% to give. Ah, they give 17 bucks a week. It's like a movie ticket. So the show is good, I'm going to pay for the, the price. Maybe, I don't know how they think. I don't know what it is. But this is the mirror. Find your picture. Find your reflection. Are you in this group? Maybe this group. Don't feel bad, because you can see 37% is pretty high. You're not alone. Maybe you're in this group. It's okay. It's okay, whatever group you're in. But here's what I would like to ask you. What would happen? What would happen if all of us, we, we got shaken a bit by the beauty of generosity this morning? I had a very unusual appointment. I had somebody come to my office, and, uh, you know, I've been pastor here for 30 years, and I think this might have been the only appointment I ever had like this. This individual made an appointment. People make an appointment with me about all kinds of things, you know, all kinds of, usually personal problems, things like that. This person sat down with me, and they said, I, I want you to help me, Randy, to to creatively give more. Now, this is a person who's had a record of being in this category for a long time. And they are not a millionaire, the best that I know. They're, they're pretty much average Fredericktonian people. And this individual is telling me, he's saying, you know, we, we've done well, and, and I just, I want to do more. I want to give more. God's challenging me to be more generous. Can you help me with this? And I'm like, dude, I wish your tribe would increase. I've never had this conversation before in 30 years beautiful I just sat there and I listened 
And I thought, man, what a beautiful human being you are. And he already had someone living for free in his basement. Didn't tell anybody, really. I I just kind of stumbled onto it. What a beautiful spirit. Why not? I mean, why not? Why not each of us just take take a little step? I mean, whatever God leads you to do, or or no step. But, But what if we all took some steps and said, you know, what if we... What if we became that beautiful, generous congregation? What if we could tell somebody? Because occasionally, two, three times a year, we'll have somebody that comes along and says, you know, man, I'm down and out. I, I, you know, I'm I'm out of work. I don't have a house. I mean, I I recently went through this with somebody. And it shames me to say that that I couldn't tell that person. We have a benevolence. We, We can give a certain amount of money. We have it all set up nice and tidy. But frankly, if somebody comes and says, man, I'm out of work and I don't have a house and, and I, I just need somebody to kind of take me in and parent me for a while to get me back on my feet. I can't say yes to them, although there may be individuals that would, because we, we have this dynamic. Now, don't get me wrong, man. We're doing fine as a church. We are doing fine financially. But could be better, I suppose. I'm not asking for money. I'm asking, do you want... <laughs> Remember Jesus asked the man that was crippled? The man had been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? It was an obvious question, wasn't it? So I'm asking you, and it's strictly between you and God. I'm going to love you and serve you no matter who you are. I'll never treat you any differently. Do you want to be made generous? You've got to take action before you feel it, and you've got to persist at it until it becomes who you are. Let me close with where I started. Activation and development of dormant capacities bring desirable, expanded experiences. I need to learn to give before I want to give so that I'll want to give for the rest of my life and have joy, crazy joy, in doing it. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. Love always gives. May your love work its way in us to create a generosity that is shocking. May may it be said of us someday that there's not a person amongst them that, that their needs are not met. May you, by your Spirit, stir something. May you show us the beauty of your generosity in such a way now that we can't help but to pursue it. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.